Welcome to episode 107 of the Blooms of Barnacles podcast, where we talk about all things relating to James Joyce's Ulysses. I'm Dermot. And I'm Kelly. How are you doing today, Dermot? Very good. I can tell you're very eager for today's episode. Super excited. I'm delighted. Okay. Uh, Before we get into the main meat of the show... I want to talk a little bit about our blog. We are a blog as well as a podcast, and I have a new blog post, fresh and ready to go, entitled Kinos and Healy's to Ads and Lestragonians, which I'm worried sounds a bit dull. Hmm. I just kept the ad straightforward, but I think it's actually, there's more than meets the eye to both those ads. Can you give a little preview for our listeners? Talk about the substance of that blog post. The substance of the blog post is Bloom rewriting ad copy in his head as Mm -hmm. he's going through Dublin. Like he's, he's like someone from Mad Men. Like he is constantly thinking that Mm -hmm. doesn't scan, that that could be punched up. Mm -hmm. And kind of in a way that's very modern. Like it's, you know, because, you know, you said ads at the time were very literal. Mm -hmm. You know, take our patent tonic medicine Mm -hmm. and it will be a cure-all for rheumatoid Mm -hmm. Uh, gunge and all this. Stephen Dedalus said this is the age of patent medicine. Yeah, and it's just very like direct to give him like a laundry list. Nobody does that anymore because mm-hmm. Edward Bernays comes along, Freud's nephew, and says, mm-hmm. no, you appeal to the emotions, mm-hmm. not reason. Mm-hmm. And all the good things that came from that. What's it called? Once again. And out of this, you created some great artwork. Do you mm. want to tell them a little bit about the artwork they'll see when they go check out a blog post? Yeah, I, I, again, getting back to Mad Men, I just like I thought this is like Leopold Bloom as John Hamm's character, uh, mm-hmm. Don Draper, in uh, in the TV show Mad Men, mm-hmm. which I stopped watching when I realized that at no point in the show would the entire um, cast get machine gunned by. <laughs> the uh, Symbionese Liberation Army. Would, no. Uh, so I thought, oh, this is so no, this isn't going to end. They're about 15 years too early for that. I yeah, think, so. sadly. Uh, so they just keep selling like garbage to people. Mm. Madison Avenue and stuff. Is that what you drew in your picture? Uh, I show Bloom in silhouette, like the the uh, iconic um, mm. Mad Men logo of the, you know, the guy draped over the, the chair with a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got the sandwich board, the five sandwich board men mm-hmm. walking behind him. And mm-hmm. you can tell he's thinking, he's working on it. Do you think John Hamm could play Leopold Bloom in a, a adapted version of Ulysses? Like John Hamm a lot. He's a friend of my cousins. Um, but even so, I don't think he'd be a good Bloom. Okay. Yeah, he's too handsome. Sorry, Leo. <laughs> I think Bloom is is very handsome. He is, but I think he's starting to crumple a bit. As mm. as was the as was the custom of the time. Okay. Um, but... Molly says he looks like Lord Byron. Yeah, but she would though. Like she's still in love with him in some <laughs> way. So. And and John Martin Harvey, I think, is the mm. other stage actor, who I think looks a little bit like you. Yeah. I have one of those faces mm. that people map onto that mm. an actor would kill for because you can take on different personas with it. All right. Well, if a listener wants to see your artwork or read our blog post, where can they find it? Uh, at our site, bloomsandbarnacles.com. Mm-hmm. Go check it out. We've got a, a couple of shout outs. Uh, first of all, thank you to everyone who supported us this month on our PayPal and our patrons on Patreon. Um, and there's a new Patreon bonus episode up for the month of March, though I think by this point it's not really new anymore. Mm-hmm. The topic is the TV series as well as the novel Strumpet City. Um, we've made a, a video about that so please check that out by going to patreon.com slash barnacle cast if you'd like to find out how to support us you can also go to our website 
and click on the donate button in the upper right hand corner. That website again is blimsandbarnacles.com. And right. I think that was the trailer of the Strumpet City episode on YouTube. On our well. YouTube, yeah. So We're trying to out. post a little more on our YouTube channel. So check that out as well. We've got some great videos we've done, especially in Glasnevin Cemetery. If you'd like to support our podcast in a non-monetary fashion, head over to Apple Podcasts or your website of choice and leave us a review, five stars preferred. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, which is totally free, and all of our stuff will arrive in your inbox once a month. And if you'd like to just talk to us, you can always email us at blooms a and d barnacles at gmail.com and we got a really fantastic email this month from listener elling on the topic of seagulls in ulysses i remarked long long ago about how Stephen, with all of his ineluctable modalities on sandy mount strand doesn't remark on the constant cry of seagulls that you'll hear if you're in dublin today it's all all seagulls all the time in mm. dublin and so i found that interesting and so elling wrote us a really interesting email in which he talks about why he thinks that might be so i want dermot to read that for me i noticed that you kelly have brought the question of why there are so few seagulls described in ulysses especially in the telemachus episode i'm from norway and i am now living far up north in the country and what i've been told is that there are way more seagulls near the cities now than there were 100 years ago the reason for this increase can be attributed to a combination of factors, most importantly changes in human behaviour and environmental conditions. As our cities have grown, the amount of food waste and other organic material available for seagulls to scavenge. This has created an attractive food source for the birds, which has led to an increased source for the birds. Well, sorry, which has led to an increase in their population. And due to climate change, the ocean temperature is rising, which again affects what food is available in the wild. Additionally, a more unstable climate with lots of wind and rain makes it better to nest closer to the shore and rooftops make excellent shelter. So that, I really appreciated that insight. I'm always interested in birds more generally and the seagulls of Dublin are a fascination of mine in particular. Um, so I found this really insightful. Mm, and, there's uh, a famous yeah. viral YouTube video of a seagull on <laughs> Grafton Street walking into one of the shops mm -hmm. and walks up with a bag of tato crisps and drops it on the ground and rips it open and starts eating them. And the guy who's filming it is cracking up laughing. And he says, it's okay, it's okay, I'll pay for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he pays for the crisps for the seagull. When I still worked in Dublin, I taught English to international students. So we'd take little trips around the city. And before we went to Stevens Green, a nice summer day, I said, just be aware of the seagulls because they will steal your food. And all my students ha, ha, you know, kind of laughed at me. But they had the, we had the distinct... Uh, opportunity uh, sitting across from the pond in Stevens Green to watch a, a woman being a little too free with her ice cream and a seagull coming in just carrying it mm -hmm. out of her hands mm -hmm. and uh, you know so <laughs> we would feed the birds in Arklow and you can throw such acrobats you mm -hmm. throw things up into the air and they'll pluck them out of the air mm -hmm. like before yeah. they even hit the, so know, that's why there's yeah. so many seagulls now because all these people are feeding them yeah, yeah. all right all right and Finally, I have one more point. So our last episode, which I think is a very good one, we went through an exhaustive list of possible identities for the mysterious man in the Macintosh. And after we finished, Dermot came to me and said that he had a brilliant theory that he, I guess, had not thought of before we recorded. No. But, you know, you, you thought about all the stuff we talked about, yeah. I imagine. And, yeah. And uh, you'd like to share that with our listeners. So Well, you, you got the ball rolling. You mm -hmm. said, like, he's the, we see him walking across the street 
uh, eating dry bread. And she said, who eats dry bread? And I, the first that came to me was with people at the Last Supper. And then he's drinking Bovril. And that's like mm-hmm. a bloody beef broth kind of thing. right? Don't, it's, I, I don't know that the bo- makers of Bovril would like it described as a bloody blood. Meat broth. But we did talk about how it can symbolize the drinking of blood of oxen by the, the ghosts in yes. the underworld. In yes. The so it has that sacramental aspect yeah. to it. And uh, and then you, I was reading something else you wrote about how we see the man in the Macintosh again in the later sequence when he comes out of the trapdoor. Yes. And then I remember a trapdoor in Greek theater was called a deus ex machina. Mm-hmm. It's God from the machine. And sometimes the the machina will come down on ropes, other times up from a trapdoor. That's now three. You know, the Ian Fleming thing, once is happenstance, mm-hmm. twice is coincidence, three times is enemy action. So it does suggest that he might have been poking at something there. Maybe it's the Holy Ghost. And there was the um, ghost aspect too. You thought mm-hmm. that it might be the the ghost of Bloom's father, who mm-hmm. he doesn't recognize in the Homeric parable. But a, a ghost and then a Holy Ghost you know, it just gives another correspondence for people to muck around with their heads. But yeah, it's kind of strange that there would be three. Mm-hmm. Uh, two you can write off, but three, it's harder to write it off mm-hmm. at that point. So I can see why people become kind of fixated <laughs> on it. So anyway, and it could be both. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't, he could, he could have like had like layers and layers of mm-hmm. like in, in occult practice and theosophy, which he would have been familiar with. You, mm-hmm. you don't have just one line of meaning. You have two, three or four and they correspond with one another. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not necessarily either or, and he was just having fun. Um, yeah, and we do think there is a knowable answer, but it's so far an unanswered question mm. and we'll never truly know what Joyce was thinking, mm. I think, unless some n- get, notebook of his is on earth that's never been seen the Ouija board. <laughs> Joyce doesn't want you bothering him. Mm. I think he'd be uh, an irascible... He'd be poltergeist. ...spirit, yeah, mm. he... Uh, Start throwing your books around. I think even if, if you knew him in life and you went up and asked him, you wouldn't really get an answer, so... Um, but that's kind of what makes it really um, intriguing. And I'm think I'm reflecting on this a bit now because the next blog topic I'm working on is the the meaning and the origination of the infamous UP up postcard. So that's another, I think, unsolved mystery of Ulysses mm-hmm. that I think will be even harder to answer than Macintosh. So if you do have a theory about who sent Dennis Breen that postcard and what it means, Get on the email bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com or on our social media. We'd love to hear your theories. And uh, if you do send one, I might read it in a future podcast episode. All right. So without further ado, do we have anything else? No, no. Am, I, so. am I missing anything? No. Of, of great import. I really enjoyed your theory, by the way. Thank you. It's just all right. Yeah. It, it's, fun, it's fun to think about. Yeah. So we're still working our way through the Hades episode, which is the sixth episode of Ulysses. And we are on pages 110 through 112 today in my copy, the 1990 Vintage International Edition. We are almost done with Hades. I think we probably got two to three more episodes. Mm. So, um, Just an aside yeah. from me, Kelly was worried that, oh, there's not as much to talk about in Hades because she's like a brainiac. And I said, look, it really helped me reading it. Like, I'm just a mortal and like, as we went through this, it's all kinds of stuff that I would not have got. Like, I would never have pulled stuff out mm. of this that you did and you know you make it look stupid easy after you say it but it's <laughs> no. not it isn't easy like it's not so yeah. it seems easy to you because you've let, read the terrifying bits in mm-hmm. fucking aramaic or whatever but mm-hmm. uh, you know it's 
You've read you've read Proteus. That's one of the the more hair raising chapters. Yeah, and this is not as bad as Proteus, but it's still there's think, still things in there that like I would just glide over. I think it. this is one of the most just readable yeah. chapters. Maybe this and maybe Nausicaa, yeah. um, where you can just sit and read it, like a mm-hmm. you know. But it's it's so interesting that it's um it's a deceptive simplicity. Mm. Um, but I think with Proteus is it's much more challenging prose, but. I can look at a passage in Proteus and think, oh, okay, I've got my three main points. I know exactly what right. I need to research. With this, it's I look at it and I think, what am I even going to talk about? Ned Lambert for an hour? Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and I, I always manage to find something. But like the Elijah guy. Like that was a whole Oh, like, no, I hole. I knew from the, the moment we started, we'd talk about mm. Alexander Dowie and Elijah. Because mm. Elijah is coming. Elijah is coming. Which a uh, we a recent blog post about that that is um, that is a, a pretty consistent motif throughout Ulysses. Right. So you know there's something in it. Yeah. Um, the same way with the UP up postcard. The same way with Macintosh. There's um, with Kinos and Heelys as well. Like they're just kind of you know oh he sees a trouser ad on a rowboat. But mm-hmm. the, the fact that it keeps coming up in different forms, you know that Joyce meant something there. So like to me those are very obvious to go and pull out. But um, you know, and I, I think, too, those, like, scholars have dealt with. So there's a lot of articles I can go and read and kind of, you know, think about. But the problem with, it's not really a problem, you guys. It's, this is a non-problem. But uh, something that makes Hades challenging is that, like, there isn't necessarily as much scholarship written on, like, the passage we're going to read now. Or you find things and it's just a mention and it's dashed off. It, so you really have to be more creative in how you find um, stuff to talk about yeah. and in a meaningful way. Like, because I've never wanted Blooms and Barnacles to just be me pontificating for an hour. There's too many podcasts that are like that. I really do want to make sure everything I say is somewhat backed up. Mm-hmm. And when I'm speculating, I, I try to say, but um, it's it's just, it's harder to figure out what I want to say and to find sources to help me back it up. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't just go to uh, James Joyce Quarterly's back catalog and always find something. See, mm-hmm. it just it, it requires a little more um, uh, digging, I guess. Yeah. And I, you know, I've always, and I'd say really the, one of the greatest sources for this episode, Hades in particular, it has been uh, John Hunt's uh, The Joyce Project because um, he really does go into little nitty gritty stuff. So. Um, yeah, that it's a really, really, really valuable online resource if you want something less windy than bloom, mm-hmm. blooms and barnacles. Yeah. So I would recommend JoyceProject.com. So should we get into this? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Ned Lambert. We're going to talk about donkeys today. Oh, I love donkeys. Good. Our neighbors have some of their own. Nice soft tweed Ned Lambert has in that suit. Tinge of purple. I had one like that when we lived in Lambert Street West. Dressy fellow he was once. Used to change three suits in the day. Must get that grey suit of mine turned by Messiah's. Hello, it's died. His wife and I forgot he's not married or his landlady ought to have picked out those threads for him. The coffin dived out of sight, eased down by the men straddled on the grave trestles. They struggled up and out, and all uncovered. Twenty. Pause. If we were all suddenly somebody else. Far away a donkey braid. Rain. No such ass. Never see a dead one, they say. Shame of death. They hide. Also, poor Papa went away. All right. Thank you, Dermot. Sometimes the inflection on those can be tricky. Very tricky. 
All right. Yeah, yeah. So what do you pick out? And I'm not going to talk much about Ned Lambert, to be fair. Hmm. So Messiah is a tailor, I guess. He's a tailor, yeah. Jewish, maybe? Messiah is a strange name. And Mm -hmm. Messiah as well is a Mm -hmm. sort of pun, I think, going on Messiah. Yeah, and that that name can also mean Messiah. Like, you know, we'd think of it religious term he says hello it's died but there's that's a pun we think like it's died yeah the purple thread in in ned lambert's suit is died right 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 and i i i'm guessing there's some pun in there e possible yeah speaking of the joyce project he has a really good article on there that i read i'm not going to reference any of it in here today but where he talks about how purple dye, like synthetic purple dye came about in this time period and became mm-hmm. more popular as a result. Okay. So I don't know that that's specifically what he's referencing, but mm-hmm. just uh, that tinge of purple is kind of an interesting history of purple. Joyceproject.com. Mm-hmm. So is he he's yeah. jumping from a dead donkey to his father's suicide where his father went to yeah, hide? Yeah, so they're, they're standing there. Um, you know, he's just seen Macintosh. Patty Dignam's lower down into the grave Mm -hmm. and he's, you know, his mind's kind of wandering, looking at Ned Lambert's tweed suit. Um, And he kind of thinks like, oh yeah, I got to take my gray suit over to the tailor and get it, you know, he says turned. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure what that means, but just fixed up, um, taken out or let in or whatever he needs. And then, um, yeah. Coffin dived out of sight, right? So the coffin's being lowered into the actual grave. And then far away, a donkey braids. So he's he's hearing the sound of a donkey, mm-hmm. which in that part of Dublin, I don't think you'd hear a donkey in this day and age. Not but that. he hears a donkey. So he sees Macintosh, thinks about suits. Paddy Dignam's lowered. And then, hee-haw! <laughs> okay. So that's the sequence of events we're looking right. at here. It's all over the place. Yeah, A, a bit, Yeah. Yeah, because he's kind of just standing there watching his friend being lowered into his grave and mm-hmm. his, just his mind's wandering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so I've got a few points I pulled out in this. Okay. Yep. Uh, the first is he um, he's looking at Ned Lambert's suit, and then he's thinking, oh, when we lived in Lombard Street West, I had a suit like that. So that's a neighborhood where the Blooms lived in the early years of their marriage. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be in the 1880s. Um, and this was a Jewish neighborhood near the Grand Canal and Bloom had Jewish friends in that area. Um, and there, this is generally like a very positive and fondly remembered time for Bloom. There's lots of little memories of it that pop up there of his friends. I think Mastiansky and, uh, Citroen and, and, um, yeah, Messias would be, I would assume a Jewish tailor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a time when his marriage was going well, he's a newly wed, and also when he had some more connection to his cultural community. Yeah. So he's kind of thinking back to that. And he mentions his tailor, Messias. Here's the thing about this, and if you want, I'm only going to touch on this briefly, but if you want to know a little bit more about the significance of this tailor, go read that blog post about Kinos and Healy's, because we do talk about him a bit in there. Um, he is also... Boylan's tailor. So there's Boylan is described later um, as heading along on his uh, little outsider jaunting cart towards the Bloom's house, wearing a blue serge suit, and that he had made up by uh, the same tailor. Mm. Um, so he's kind of where you know they they both get their their suits from 
the same guy who's I'm remembering his his tailor shop is on Eden Key, which is you know the the Dublin Keys, so I, he wouldn't be in Lombard Street West. Just so I'm clear on that. And uh, Boylan's straw, his little jaunty straw hat is also made by Plastos. Hmm. Who else's hat was made at Plastos? The inside band of Bloom's hats is Plasto's uh-huh. high grade hat. hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they get their clothes at the same places. Mm-hmm. But um it seems like yeah, Boylan is a little more fashionable than Bloom. Mm-hmm. You know, his hat might be a little worn out since the 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 branding is is rubbing off. He's getting a suit tailored rather than freshly made. Right. You know. So um there's there's more to that than meets the eye. So go check out our blog. Let's talk about donkeys. Um, so let's just review real quick what Bloom says about donkeys. He says, Far away a donkey braid. Rain, no such ass. Never see a dead one, they say. Shame of death, they hide. Also, poor Papa went away. So about that specifically, does anything jump out to you? Well, just jumping from that to rain and mm-hmm. no such ass, I'm not clear about what he's digging up there. I understand never see a dead one, shame of death. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of animals don't want to be around if they're dying, they just mm-hmm. want to be away. Um, and then, of course, his father who committed suicide, and that's mm-hmm. brought his dad's death back into his head. Um, but yeah, that not, other than that, nothing jumps out. Okay. Do you have any personal superstitions regarding donkeys? I don't, no. Okay. No. All right. Well, let's try to figure this out then. So... We're going to start by looking at some of the famous Ulysses annotations. The but I think probably best known one is uh, um, uh, Ulysses annotated by Gifford and Seidman. And they pull this reference from Weldon Thornton's much earlier Illusions in Ulysses, an annotated list. So two big Ulysses annotations for quite a while. So Thornton and by extension Gifford and Seidman think... This is a reference to Patrick Weston Joyce, or P.W. Joyce, no relation, uh, to his book, English as We Speak It in Ireland. Um, And we've referenced this book before uh, in episode 14 of Fox Bearing His Grandmother, Mm -hmm. where he talks about the the riddle that Joyce used, or Stephen tells in Nestor. You can also find in that book. Um, And so P.W. Joyce references, uh, we did a, it was a, as a bonus episode, we talked about those little triadic proverbs that pop up in Irish. Mm-hmm. So P.W. Joyce references one of those, and he says, here, why don't, why don't you read it? Three things no person ever saw. A Highlander's knee buckle, a dead ass, a tinker's funeral. Um, so there's, at least in this proverb, that people would never see a dead donkey. Mm. That they go and hide to 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 die. Mm-hmm. They like to die alone. Um, Thornton also cites a proverb proverb that appears in Charles Dickens' The Pickwick Papers, and I think this um, I want to say this this pops up in uh, th- this is like one of the the go tos where people are um, seeing this from. And Dickens said, "You never see a dead donkey nor a dead post boy." Um, so. There seems to be some folk wisdom or folk belief that you'd never see a dead donkey. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, in a book I really like that's not just an annotation, but 
uh, critical essays about Ulysses called James Joyce's Ulysses, critical essays. Robert Adams wrote an, a really interesting essay about Hades. I s strongly recommend that. Um, so this is what Adams thinks that uh, he says a donkey is a Roman symbol of ill omen uh, connected to the number 13 and the appearance of Macintosh. I think he actually sees it as like the donkey heralds Macintosh. Mm -hmm. Macintosh appears and then you hear hee-haw, hee-haw in the background that those are connected. Right. So they're both kind of bad signs. Mm -hmm. um, he says also that traditionally a uh, donkey was associated with Doubting Thomas. Mm -hmm. Who's Doubting Thomas? Uh, the apostle when Christ is resurrected mm -hmm. refuses to believe that he's risen. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has to put his fingers inside the wounds mm -hmm. before he believes it's mm -hmm. really Jesus come back. Does he have kind of a negative uh, association in Christianity? Uh, for that, like it's a, okay. a, a lapse of faith. But in mm -hmm. other traditions, he was the twin brother of Jesus. Yeah. Um, okay. And there's the Gospel of Thomas, which is a Gnostic gospel, very mm -hmm. famous. Mm -hmm. um, so it's funny that they would make the most like, and mm -hmm. I think the word Thomas means twin. And, oh. and if my fuzzy memory now, Thomas the Demos was, I think, his full name, and that's also twin. It's like mm -hmm. Thomas the twin. The twins, like they were rubbing it in. Mm -hmm. um, whether he was identical or not, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but okay. no, he's a major figure. Like he's not, he's not one of the minor apostles. Mm -hmm. If there's any more minor, like he would be, like fairly important mm -hmm. figure in Christianity. But yeah, no, definitely being scolded mm -hmm. a bit for you know. You he's to, like you, the one guy in that story I relate to. Because yeah. if someone's like, yeah. "I rose from the dead," I'd be like. Yeah, come on, did you? really, really, and again, yeah. we have this thing about the I'm failure of, re of recognition, like you know, mm -hmm. Homer's father in Hades or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't even recognize him. Surely, you'd know it was him. Mm -hmm. Like, if if my brother died and rose mm -hmm. from the dead, I wouldn't have to stick my fingers in a bullet hole to know it was my mm -hmm. brother back for some bizarre reason. But you're not expecting them to be back, like, you, you saw him died and buried, you mm -hmm. know, like, it, yeah, it, it, it's. I think your your brain denial is really strong. Yeah, and that that's you're not just denying something unlikely; it's something that's impossible as far as we know. Mm -hmm. You know, except through miraculous means in this context. Right. All right. Anyway, Adams also said that James Joyce had some familiar familiarity with an 1872 book called Zoological Mythology by Angelo de Gubernatis. Mm -hmm. Adams said, "Quote." In which the lore of the ass is spread out for all to see. Hmm. So we're going to get into the lore of the ass, okay. which has been spread out for all to see. Uh, I guess this book doesn't mention a donkey who slinks, kind of slinks away to die alone. Um, and Adams then sees the donkey, you know, that goes away to die alone Um what he sees here is a connection to Bloom's father's death, which is obviously mentioned, but that a donkey will sneak away to die alone. And that's also what Bloom's father did. Yeah. He went to the other side of the country to poison himself in a, a hotel room. So, and that's, uh, Bloom can't quite escape that grief. It's, mm -hmm. it still weighs very heavily on him. So, you know, there's some interesting analysis there. But I, in the end, I went to a little website I love called duchas.ie, D-U-C-H-A-S.ie, um, which includes a collection of folklore that was gathered in the 1930s. They basically sent school children home and said, just write down everything, all the folk knowledge that your grandparents and parents have. Mm -hmm. 
And it's all connected in these little handwritten notebook pages that have been scanned in this very precise yep. handwriting. So it's it's just you'll always find something interesting. So I searched the term donkey superstitions and I came up with some donkey superstitions that were recorded from Mrs. C. Hara in Tubber County, Galway. And so I'd like, again, I'd like you to read that. This is what Mrs. Hara says. Every time a donkey brays, it is said a tinker dies. It is thought very unlucky to beat a donkey on Sunday. Ill-used donkeys are supposed to bear witness against us at God's tribunal. What do you think about that? I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. they're such sweet, innocent creatures. Like mm-hmm. people who abuse them mm-hmm. should be beaten with sticks, with barbed wire wrapped mm-hmm. around them. But if you abuse a donkey, when you go to be judged after you die, the donkey will be one of the witnesses against you. Well, Christ enters Jerusalem on the mm-hmm. back of a, of a donkey mm-hmm. as well, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. carried to the manger on the, his mother on a donkey as mm-hmm. well. It's like, it, it appe- it's important in Christianity. It's not mm-hmm. a halfway animal. Like it's mm-hmm. clearly they were getting at something. Mm-hmm. Mm. So none of those connect to this passage in Ulysses really. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the, the donkey that Bloom hears, he says rain. So the donkey for him is also an omen of rain, which it does rain, rain later on Bloomsday mm-hmm. in uh, Ulysses. And uh, then he also thinks of their, their tendency to want to die alone, connects that to his father. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're a, an ill omen, you know, because of doubting Thomas mm-hmm. and the Romans. I don't know. But uh, you should be kind to donkeys. They're very gentle creatures. Yeah. All right. So go ahead and read the next passage, please. Gentle sweet air blew round the bared heads in a whisper. Whisper. The boy by the grave head held his wreath with both hands, staring quietly in the black open space. Mr. Bloom moved behind the portly, kindly caretaker. Well-cut frock coat. Weighing them up, perhaps, to see which will go next. Well, it is a long rest. Feel no more. It's the moment you feel. Must be damned unpleasant. Can't believe it at first. Mistake must be. Someone else. Try the house opposite. Wait, I wanted to. I haven't yet. Then darkened death chamber. Light they want. Whispering around you. Would you like to see the priest? Then rambling and wandering. Delirium all you hid all your life. The death struggle. His sleep is not natural. Press his lower eyelid. Watching as his nose pointed as his jaw sinking as the soles of his feet yellow. Pull the pillow away and finish it off on the floor since he's doomed. Devil in that picture of sinner's death, showing him a woman, dying to embrace her in his shirt. Last act of Lucia. Shall I never more behold thee? Bam. He expires. Gone at last. People talk about you a bit. Forget you. Don't forget to pray for him. Remember him in your prayers. Even Parnell. Ivy Day dying out. Then they follow, dropping into a hole, one after the other. All right. So some dark reflections as he watches his friend lowered mm-hmm. into the grave. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, your thoughts. No, it seems pretty clear, like this tumbling stream of morbid thoughts mm-hmm. and, you know, the dying process and just that last moment of like, oh, I wish I had dot, 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 you mm-hmm. know, gone on a world tour. There's a great scene in the movie The Guard where uh, Brendan Gleeson is uh, a you know, held captive by a man who's sent to assassinate him, but Gleason has a hidden gun and shoots him. And the assassin says, There were so many things I wanted to do. Like what, for fuck's sake? 
running with the bulls at Pampelona. He's <laughs> just as the guy just croaks, you know. Yeah. It's like you're not gonna, you aren't gonna do anything. And you're just, a, you're just scumbag <laughs> with the gun. <laughs> he might. You never know. Mm, yeah. 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 Uh, everyone has regrets. It's yeah. natural. Do you have Do you have some gre- regrets you'd like to share? Nah. All right. Nah, you've lived a good life. All right. Yes. So I just have a few things I pulled out here. Um. Yeah. I think this. I think this is very readable. You know. It's. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Imagining what it's like to die as you, you know, you know your friend is about the same age as you has died young. Mm-hmm. Um. It says the the boy by the gravehead. That's Patty Dignam's son. Right. Held his leap. You know, he's watching this little boy hold the wreath at his father's graveside and, you know, starts to think about his own death. Yeah. Um, so there's one little bit here. He says, watching is his nose pointed, is his jaw sinking, are the soles of his feet yellow. These are pen- apparently like traditional, I don't want to say superstitions, but like traditionally looked for signs of the, the death is setting in. Yep. Um, it's kind of unusual, like, your is your nose pointed? Um, or yellow feet it's kind of unusual i wouldn't Mm. think of those yeah there's one line in here we always like to find a good mystery uh there's a line that says devil in that picture of sinner's death showing him a woman uh an enduring mystery in in ulysses i have looked at several sources and several they've all said no one's quite sure what this is referring to Mm mm-hmm um, the closest I got is another really great online resource is James Joyce Online Notes, jjon.com or .org. I can't remember. James Joyce Online Notes will get you there. And uh, scholar Harold Beck has a guess, and this this image. Wow. Uh, can you describe the image? It's a, and I'll put the slide up for people watching yeah. on video. It's a very crude painting, and it certainly describes what he's talking about. It's uh, it looks like some folk art. It's really bad. <laughs> um, it's not as bad as Rhesus Christ, the the, the okay. Spanish woman in describe the describe the picture there. Okay, there's a man in bed in his like white nightgown, but like Ebenezer Scrooge. There's a, a wonderful devil with two black horns and bat wings, like Varney the Vampire, and he's standing behind him, pointing toward another devil, holding up a white sheet with a painting of a woman on it. I think she's pointing to her breasts. I can't be sure. Mm-hmm. My eyesight's not fantastic. Yeah, she's no, she's like Rosie the Riveter. I don't know what's going on there. There's a woman in red, probably the dying man's wife, dressed in red. She's on her knees. There's a big bag of um, money, of gold spilling out. So all of his treasures on earth. And there's are, a snake kind of wrapped a snake around it, coming out of it. The love of money is the root of all evil. And there's a priest uh, uh, by the bedside saying last rites. Mm-hmm. And the man is like holding his hand up. I don't know if he's turning the priest away or he's like accepting God. But the devil has him by the right hand. And uh, there's a little inkwell on the table for some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's curious. Maybe it's a priest thing for incense or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll put this in the show notes too. So you can go see and there's it an angel as well. Like it's, it certainly With looks... With the back, their back turn though. Back turn. Like the angel's leaving. Like the man is doomed. He's mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's accepting the, the vision of lust. So again, the line is, devil in that picture of sinner's death showing him a woman. Mm. So that there are, I guess, a couple paintings that they think this might be referring to but uh the other links were broken so we just have that and one. at the bottom l'amour du pêcheur the death of death, death of the sinner there we go yeah, yeah. he's gonna have yay damnation so um yeah i'll put a there'll be a link to that in our show notes and also the image itself so you can see what beck wrote about it 
Um, yeah, it's, it's a strange picture. Hmm. It's uh, obviously very symbolic of different things. Um, but it's, uh, it's, they're not quite sure if this is the exact image that Bloom is referring to here, but it's worth taking a look at. Hmm. If you have any thoughts about it, let us know and we'll uh, share them with our listeners. All right. Uh, Bloom also references last act of Lucia. Lucia is Joyce's daughter's name, but I don't think there's any connection here. Last act of Lucia, shall I never more behold thee? And uh, this is a reference to the opera by Donizetti called Lucia de Lammermoor. And um, so this is from a a book about musical illusions in Ulysses by Zach Bowen. He says in the final act of this, the Edgardo, who is Lucia's lover, comes to the graveyard to kill himself because he feels betrayed by Lucia. And Bowen says, and I quote, the last act of Lucia is representative of Bloom's philosophy. Death is the final spiritless void shorn of immortality. The music of Edgardo's transition from passion to nothing becomes the last song of Patty Dignam and the great company of the dead, which he and Edgardo have joined. So in in this reference, uh, the scholar Bowen sees it's kind of Bloom's uh, sort of materialist view of death. Right. So make of that what you will. And uh, it's a, it's a, I have a little link here of Pavarotti's version of this aria. So if you want to drop that in when you edit it, I'll put a YouTube clip of that song at bloomsandbarnacles.com also in the show notes for this episode. Finally, uh, a little bit of Irish history. What is Ivy Day? Ivy Y? Ivy Day. Ivy Y though. Yes. Uh, I thought you said Ivy Y. <laughs> it's it's got our intravenous. Uh, no, I. I it's I it's no on idea. October sixth. I have no idea. That is the anniversary of Charles Stuart Parnell's death. Oh, okay. Uh, who is Parnell? Uh, leader of the Irish Home Irish Parliamentary Party, mm-hmm. who were advocating for Home Rule for Ireland, mm-hmm. great hero of choice. Yes, um, and on the anniversary in the years following his death um, in the eighteen nineties, his supporters wore an ivy leaf um, pinned to their their mm. jacket in his memory. Uh, there is a Dubliner story, which actually I think would make a really good bonus episode at some point, called um, "Ivy Day in the Committee Room." And that goes a little more in depth on the fading memory of Parnell. Mm. But kind of what Bloom is saying here is that, you know, once you die, people pray for you for a while. They talk about you for a while. And then your memory kind of fades. Mm -hmm. You know, he sees an inevitability in that because even someone so great as Parnell, who every, you know, 10 years, you know, 10, 15 years ago in Bloom's life, everybody was obsessed with Parnell. He was, you know, on top. And now that he's he's died, that no one really even even before he died, he was an irrelevance, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he died pretty short after the, the his scandal. Yeah. Um, but he, and he he was still like he still had supporters, but he was his public image was very tarnished. Yeah. Um, and then but then by 1904, that people aren't observing his death day anymore. Right. Um, and, and, uh, 1916 and 1922, mm-hmm. the whole period just yeah. obliterated any relevance he had yeah. to the new country anyway. Because the, they mentioned too earlier in this, so now if you are in Dublin and you travel north of O'Connell Street, there's a huge monument there to Parnell at the mm-hmm. corner of Parnell Street. Right. But was not there in 1904. There was just a plinth that had been laid and there was a, it 
they really struggled to get that um, that monument up. It wasn't until 1911 that it was there. Hmm. Um, and we mentioned Strumpet City is remarked in the novel Strumpet City, like, oh, that just went up. Right. And, uh, you know, that takes place in the years around when it would have been erected. Right. But, um, that he was so beloved by the Irish people um, and that, you know, within 20 years of his death, they were struggling to even get a monument to him in the city. Hmm. Um, like Irish people will still all know who he is and remember him mm-hmm. and what he like O'Connell. He's one of those. But mm-hmm. like the whole imagine spending like decades and decades and decades. But no fighting, one's wearing Ivy in October anymore. Fighting for, for that, for home rule. And then 1916 just washes it away. Like mm-hmm. that's an irrelevance. We're not even yeah. going to try for that. It's just outright. And the argument then becomes what stripe of independence are we prepared to mm-hmm. settle for home rule? Forget it. Yeah. And I think John Redmond was the leader of the IPP. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he ended up like just being walking down, I think, O'Connor Street and just attacked by a bunch of Fianna Fallers. Just mm-hmm. the old man got knocked to the ground. See, mm-hmm. Todd Andrews just pushes him to the ground. And here's this like formerly venerated statesman and he's mm-hmm. just like a nothing. Yeah. Like, it's really, you know, courage, ye sovereign lords, the wheel will roll forever to confound and console. Who drinks the day the golden cup will sip tomorrow the wooden bowl and silent drink. I'm scared. <laughs> you should be. Okay. All right. Well, th- thanks. Uh, what what poem are you quoting there? It's the Lazumiat by Al Marie, the 10th century Syrian poet, mm-hmm. translated by Rahani, who I think was a friend of uh, Gibran, the Lebanese mm-hmm. poet. I I just want that to be out there to show who the real brainiac is on this podcast. <laughs> I have to read off, you know, my notes. You you've just got that like in your back pocket, ready to. Mm-hmm. You know, pull out at any time. Mm. <laughs> That's why I, I admire you greatly, Dermot. Right. You're going to cut all this out, aren't you? No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, should we keep reading? All right. You can if you want. I don't know. Okay. We are praying now for the repose of his soul, hoping you're well and not in hell. Nice change of air. Out of the frying pan of life into the fire of purgatory. Does he ever think of the hole waiting for himself? They say you do when you shiver in the sun. Someone walking over it. Call boy's warning. Near you. Mine over there towards Fingless. The plot I bought. Mama. Poor Mama. And little Rudy. The gravediggers took up their spades and flung heavy clods of clay in on the coffin. Mr. Bloom turned away his face. And if he was alive all the time. Phew. By jingo, that would be awful. No, no. He is dead, of course. Of course he's dead. Monday he died. They ought to have some law to pierce the heart and make sure or or an electric clock or a telephone in the coffin and some kind of a canvas air hole. Flag of distress. Three days. Rather long to keep them in summer. Just as well to get shut of them as soon as you are sure there's no. The clay fell softer. Begin to be forgotten. Out of sight. Out of mind. Okay. What do you think? (laughs) So what's Bloom's concern here? That you're alive in the box, that you're like, clawing at it and mm-hmm. trying to get out. And... Yeah, fear of being buried alive. Mm-hmm. There's a line here that says, does he ever think of the hole waiting for himself? What what is what does that mean? Is he talking about the priest? I think um, he's talking about John O'Connell, the oh, superintendent. The, the, the superintendent yeah. of the graveyard, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. It's somebody who's there all the time, who's seeing it every day. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You have any other thoughts? No, I don't think so. It's it's very clear. Like it's, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's just him being sinking into mm-hmm. morbidity. Poor Rudy. That's his son. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, yep. He's looking. So he's. Th- that's actually the the 
bit I want to talk about here. So um, if if we take their friend Matthew Kane, the Joyce family's friend Matthew Kane, to mm-hmm. be the stand-in for Patty Dignam, mm-hmm. which is we've talked about. Um, we have a previous episode about that in the feed. Go check it out. Um, they're standing in kind of the north, roughly north section of Glasnevin Cemetery. Mm-hmm. You imagine standing there. Mm-hmm. And he says... Mine over there toward Finglas, the plot I bought. So he's he's purchased a, a burial plot for himself. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little bit of Dublin geography. So there's Glasnevin Cemetery. Where is Finglas in relation to Glasnevin? Uh, I don't know. So it's sort of to the northwest. I would have guessed that. Okay. <laughs> um, mama, poor mama. So his mother has predeceased him, and little Rudy. So presumably they they are buried in the Glasnevin Cemetery as well. He doesn't mention poor Papa. Why not? And because of the suicide, and a suicide can't be buried in a Catholic graveyard. Yeah, or, yeah. You can't be buried in consecrated consecrated ground. ground yeah. His father was not Catholic, Catholic but still they would. Yeah, uh, Glasnevin. That that. His Protestantism would not be a problem, but his suicide would be. Mm-hmm. So, um, an interesting thing, and I think we talk about this in the video with we did with Martin Mooney, which is episode 100, is that very... So this is kind of connecting old episodes we've done. Um, we talked a lot also in a previous episode 62 about um, a possible real-life inspiration for Leopold Bloom, who was a a Dublin businessman and political figure named Albert Altman. And his ancestors, a, a friend of ours named Vincent Altman O'Connor was our guest in that. And he is 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 very convinced that his uh ancestor Albert Altman was um was this inspiration for Bloom. And you should listen to that episode if you want to know the full details of that. One reason Vincent believes that is because of this line. Because if you're standing at Matthew Kane's grave, Albert Altman's grave is not far away. Mm-hmm. Now, the the thing, and I think I said this to Martin. I don't remember what I say in any of these when you guys email me. I don't remember what I say in any of these episodes after it's left my mouth. <laughs> but uh, um, I was thinking about this when I was writing this the other day, that if you're at Matthew Kane's grave, Finglas is roughly northwest and... Altman's grave is northeast. So I, I was like, mm, I'm wondering about Vincent's hypothesis here. Because if if we're believing that Al- Altman's grave is a stand-in for Bloom's comment here, mine over there towards Finglas, mm-hmm. I was like, well, that doesn't quite work for me. Because mm-hmm. it's not towards Finglas. It's the like slightly the other direction. Mm-hmm. It's not like radically the other direction, but it's slightly the other direction. So I emailed Vincent because I, I know him. So I just, I asked him what he thought and I would like to read an excerpt from his email here. Okay. Um, yeah. It's a little bit long excerpt, but That's it's okay. it's interesting, I think. Altman's grave is more or less pointing towards the general area of Finglas. The old Finglas road begins at the top of Washerwoman's Hill in Glasnevin and winds its way westwards towards the Finglas road and that points towards what used to be known as Finglas Village. The entire area of North Dublin, north of the Talca River, is known as Fingal. If Bloom, for example, had said Hoth, northeast, or Rath Mines, southwest, or Blanchardstown, northwest, it would be well out. Sandon Maloney and I were speculating about this a few years ago, and using a map and compass on a phone, it was indeed slightly out. But viewed from Dignam's grave and without modern accoutrements, 
Altman's grave appears due, pun intended, northward toward Finglas. Sebastian Knowles, uh, Sebastian, I guess, editor, highlights Hades in the foreword to Davidson's recent book. He is either directly in front of or in close proximity to the Altman tomb. Mm-hmm. And that is a reference, that last bit, to um, actually Basin Corvallis at OSU in, in Oregon. Uh, Neil Davison is a Joyce scholar who mm-hmm. has a book coming out soon about Albert Altman and this connection to Leopold Bloom. So mm-hmm. um, basically it's close enough, is, is what he's saying. Yeah. It's close enough. Yeah. Now, Vincent did want me to let y'all know... I have made a grave mistake in episode 100 when we were talking to Martin Mooney about this very issue. Grave mistake is a pun because it's a small mistake. Um, So when I talked to Vincent this week, he corrected me that um, one thing that Martin and I talked about is that Matthew Kane's gravestone that is widely seen as Patty Dignam's gravestone, Mm -hmm. like the real life version of it, um, that it might not be in the right spot. Um, because if you watch that episode, the, you know, graves go unmarked in Glasnevin more frequently than you'd think. Martin is very interested in kind of pursuing those. Yep. And I think it must have been Vincent on a previous trip to the the Glasnevin Cemetery that said this to me. And I so I repeated it. But Vincent really wanted me to clarify that... Um, the location of Matthew Kane's gravestone was pretty well calibrated and that when he said it might be in the wrong spot, he, it would only be by a few feet. It, it wouldn't be massively off. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, and I do think that's important to clarify because if you go there and visit and you think, Oh, this could be, you know, you know, who knows in this grave, not really. It's, it would only be slightly off, but, um, we can't know for sure. Yeah. So, all right. You think I've done justice by that? All right. Thank you, Vincent. We really appreciate appreciate your input. Um, anything else you want to say about that? No. All right. Um, so a- another a- another mystery of Ulysses. We're really getting to a lot here. This, this one is, I-, I think, fairly unmysterious. The caretaker moved away a few paces and put on his hat. Had enough of it. The mourners took heart of grace and one by one, covering themselves without show. Mr. Bloom put on his hat and saw the portly figure make its way deftly through the maze of graves. Quietly, sure of his ground, he traversed the dismal fields. Hines jotting down something in his notebook. Ah, the names. But he knows them all. No, coming to me. All right. So I just want to make a note of hats. We talked about hats, you know, uh, stand, stand in as people's identities. Yep. So when you doff your hat, mm-hmm. you become one of the nameless figures in the necropolis, but you put them back on. You're reclaiming your earthly identity. Mm-hmm. See several previous episodes where we talked about that. And he says, Heinz, Heinz, no, coming to me. Who is Heinz? He's a, a reporter, yeah. right? He's, yeah, yeah. And he's there. Um, he's going to write down an obituary notice or funeral notice in the evening edition of the paper. Because mm-hmm. this is when papers used to have multiple editions in a day before internet and TV. And so he wants to get the name of all the mourners there. So mm-hmm. he's coming over to Bloom. I'm just taking the names, Hines said below his breath. What is your Christian name? I'm not sure. Al, Mr. Bloom said. Leopold. And you might put down McCoy's name too. He asked me to. Charlie, Hines said, writing. I know. He was on the Freeman once. So he was before he got the job in the morgue under Louis Byrne. Good idea, a post-mortem for doctors. 
find out what they imagine they know. He died of a Tuesday, got the run, levanted with a cache of a few ads. Charlie, you're my darling. That was what he asked me to. Oh well, there's no harm. I saw to that, McCoy. Thanks, old chap. Much obliged. Leave him under an obligation. Costs nothing. All right. What do you think? It's pretty hard to parse that last paragraph because okay. of the run-on. Yeah. Um, it's so, Char- so... Charlie is um, Charlie McCoy. Mm-hmm. Do you remember McCoy? McCoy. Is he the guy who... He worked at the Freeman's Journal? Mm-hmm. Is he the one that gets paid in buns? Or is that somebody that, else? We won't meet... That's McHugh. McHugh. Okay, I'm We won't meet him up. until Eolus. That's okay. the next episode. All right. Um, yes, yeah, so no, I, I'm honest answer. No. Okay. Really. So... Heinz comes up to Bloom and mm-hmm. asks for his, what is your Christian name? Yeah. What's interesting about that? Well, it's his first name. He's not technically, well, Christian. He's technically it's Catholic. Te- technically Catholic, but, yeah. But it, it, it does, there is this incongruity that shows there. Because mm-hmm. um, we can hear all Bloom's thoughts where he, he thinks about Jewish customs and other passages. Mm-hmm. He really is out of his depth in the the mortuary chapel. Mm-hmm. He he has very, um, like we said, materialistic views of death. Yeah. Uh, thoroughly unchristian. So he's asked, what is your Christian name? And we all know what he means, but it's still, it's one of those things, yeah. you know. Um, and Mr. Bloom says L. He says, just put down L mm-hmm. for Leopold. Um, so I'm going to read that paragraph because that's really what we're going to look at here. Uh and you, you remember, McCoy asks Bloom in Lotus Eaters, could you just ask him to put my name down that I was there? Mm-hmm. And we know he had right. s- some trouble with the Freeman's Journal, and he's there to avoid this man in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and Heinz does remember him. I know he was on the Freeman once, he says neutrally, but there's more to it. So let's read this last paragraph, because that's going to be our focus. So he was... Before he got the job in the morgue under Louis Byrne. Louis Byrne is the um, coroner for Dublin in 1904. And that's where um, McCoy works now. He works for the coroner's office. Good idea, a postmortem for doctors. Find out what they imagine they know. That's just a side comment. Like you should give an autopsy to doctors to see how good of a doctor they were. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which isn't fair. But Um, He died of a Tuesday. So let's just deal with this right now uh he died of a tuesday is a line from and this is coming again from james joyce online notes uh i put the link to this full article um but this comes from a line from an anecdote that was called mental reservation and you can read the entire thing at james joyce online notes but it was a sort of almost comic but like kind of dark comic anecdote uh, again called mental reservation that was reprinted in various newspapers starting in the 1820s but was kind of widely popular in the 19th century. And it's kind of the the thrust of it is that if you ask an Irish person a question, they're never going to give you a straight answer. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's, I think, a man asking a woman about her husband who has died. And there's a bit in it where he says, I pray, what did your husband die of? Mm-hmm. And she says, die of your honor. He died of a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So you get the joke. Yes. Yeah. 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 So we, in, in American a, English, we say he died on a, on Tuesday, a Tuesday, but 
in Ireland when we died of it, older usage mm-hmm. of a Tuesday. You get the newer yeah. usage now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, just today we had our car taken into the mechanic uh-huh. and we we're kind of, I've lived in America for 29 years, so I'm sort of used to the direct American. Yeah, that's this, this, this is going to cost you $350. You go into the, uh, uh, and we've had this with more than one person mm-hmm. now where we've tried to get work done on the house or the car. And they'll say, well, this, you need to do this, this and this. Mm-hmm. But they won't give a price or say they're going to do it. And then, because I, I think part of it, my best guess is if they want to be indirect about it. They're leaving it up to you to say, yeah, okay, well, let's mm-hmm. go ahead with that. How much this is going to cost? But they don't want to make it look like you're too, you can't afford it. Or mm. there's like a nice, I think it's actually kind of a nice way of doing it, but it does throw me a little bit mm-hmm. because it's that sort of sideways way mm-hmm. of dealing with it. Like I brought my car into the mechanic because we're a bit worried about it and we know it needs this work done. But we had to draw out the repair and we had to actively ask for the, mm-hmm. the the work to be done and get back on the list for the work to be done in a couple of weeks. So I don't recall American mechanics being in any way like that. It's like, okay. you know, here's what it is. It's going to cost you $500. Do you want it done today? You know, I, I mean, I had my car in America. It was kind of like that. So it's noticeably different, at least out here in the West. Yeah, I, th- I think the way that English is spoken in Ireland is different. I yeah. mean, there's a term for it, Hiberno-English. Yeah. Um, and there is an indirectness to speech. I um, Would you be having a cup of tea? <laughs> Would I? I don't know. <laughs> um, there, uh, there's a, a very popular Irish podcast called the Blind Boy Podcast. And there was an episode where he t- was talking about this. And I think the, he had a whole story about it. But his, his, his theory was, and he's, he's, comedic so it's you know there's this is tongue-in-cheek but he said it was it, it was so that you never had to say anything directly to the the british you always keep them guessing hmm. um i don't i don't know if that's the case or not but um that's kind of the thrust of this story is she if you read the whole thing she never quite answers him directly and so he said what what did your husband die of oh he died of a tuesday mm-hmm. and it's like okay who's on first kind of thing mm-hmm. um but the the end of, at the end of the story you learn that her husband was hung for embezzlement, um, which is McCoy's sin as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so he died of a Tuesday. This is bloomed in you know, a little, I remember that funny anecdote in the, the paper or tidbits or wherever he got it from. Got the run. So he, you know, he got thrown out. Uh, mm-hmm. Levanted with the cash of a few ads. If you, the Levant is a region in, in the, the Near East. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you use it as a verb in this time period, what does it mean? I have no idea. Like he ran off ran some, off. yeah. So McCoy, excuse me, McCoy used to have the job that Bloom has now. Bloom is an ad canvasser for the Freeman's Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, so McCoy, like Bloom does now, McCoy would go out and get subscriptions for ads in the paper. And then they'd pay him and he'd bring the cash back to the newspaper office. And instead, he kind of tucked it in his pocket and kept it. Hmm. You know, it's low-level embezzlement. It's not like an Enron situation or yeah. I don't know if they did embezzlement. I can't quite remember. Sam Bankman freed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Bloom. So that's what it means. Yeah. He kind of, you know, he's <laughs> one for Freeman's Journal, nine for Charlie. And then he says, Charlie, you're my darling. We'll put a pin in that. That was why he asked me to. So Bloom's like, oh, yeah, that's why McCoy asked me to put his name down because he didn't want to come. Oh, well, does no harm. I saw to that, McCoy. So he's kind of thinking, I did your thing for you, McCoy. 
And then he's imagining McCoy saying, thanks, old chap. Bloom says, much obliged. And then Bloom thinks, leave him under an obligation. Costs nothing. So he's like, he owes me a favor now. Right. And he he was thinking one thing he wanted to get from him is tickets to Mullingar. Mm -hmm. So this goes unfulfilled within Ulysses. But, you know, you kind of see they have this very transactional relationship. It's on Ulysses Day too, the sequel. (laughs) Let's hope no one ever writes that. (laughs) Okay. Let's, and then we've got Charlie, you're my darling. So I, this, sometimes I'll read these theories about the things that I'm like, you guys need to reach a word count in your article. But this actually got very interesting to me. So um, Bloom thinks at the beginning, so he, so he was before he got the job in the morgue under Louis Byrne. Louis Byrne's the coroner. McCoy, McCoy's current employers, Louis Byrne, the coroner, right? So... Why can't McCoy attend Patty's funeral? Because men from the Freeman's Journal will be there from whom he stole cash. So, Charlie, You're My Darling is a reference to a Scottish folk song called Charlie Is My Darling. And it's about Bonnie Prince Charlie. Do you know who Bonnie Prince Charlie was? Yeah, the uh, young pretender. He mm-hmm. was the uh, last of the Stuart pretenders to the throne of England. Mm-hmm. He was a pretender. Yeah. McCoy was a pretender mm-hmm. in a way. You know, they both... Did something dishonest. They knew they weren't doing things above board totally. So, um, like you said, Bonnie Prince Charlie was banished Mm -hmm. to France, uh, where he lived under Louis the 15th. Charlie McCoy was banished from the Freeman's Journal to the morgue where he worked under Louis Byrne. Oh my God. And that's, that's from Zach Bowen's musical illusions and Ulysses. Okay. And I was like, actually, that works. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I don't know if Joyce had that in mind, but I like that. All right. And now for one of the great switcheroos in all of literature. Mm-mm. And tell us, Hines said, do you know that fellow in the... Fellow was over there in the... He looked around. Macintosh. Yes, I saw him, Mr. Bloom said. Where is he now? Macintosh, Hines mm, said. Just Macintosh. Oh, Macintosh, Hines said, scribbling. I don't know who he is. Is that his name? He moved away, looking about him. No, Mr. Bloom began, turning and stopping. I say, Hines. Didn't hear. What? Where did he disappear to? Not a sign. Well, if all the... Has anyone here seen? K-E-L-L. Become invisible. Good Lord, what became of him? All right. Thoughts? So, yeah, he's the Holy Ghost. Um, okay. He, he, he apparates, <laughs> to, like, in Harry Potter. It's at the Quidditch match now. Yeah. <laughs> is that what you think Harry Potter's like? Right. Yeah. Macintosh is a turf. Yeah, it's very, it's very mysterious, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm. It certainly looks like something peculiar happened. Like he it's, just he, he vaporized. It's too weird for me to think that it's just like a guy standing there because mm. it's not a busy part of the graveyard in my mind. No, we were there. We if were it was there. James Duffy, mourning Miss Sinico, like mm. you'd, you'd see him. You see him walk away, you yeah. think. It's a wide open space. Yeah. Um, we said it before in a previous mm-hmm. talk we had about this. Like, there's nowhere to hide. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I mean, you can think like, well, anything's possible. Maybe he did. But yeah, yeah. there, there is an oddness to this. And so the, the thing here is, though, to to notice is that Heinz said, "What do you know that guy's name over there? I didn't mm-hmm. get his name. And the guy in the, the and then Bloom finishes a sentence, Macintosh. And then Heinz writes down as his name, Macintosh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's just a a quirk of spelling from 
earlier in the 20th century. Because oh. you notice McCoy's name is spelled that way too. Oh, okay. They they take out the C hmm. or the okay. M A C and just use the apostrophe. Oh, that died out, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I've noticed there's several names in Ulysses that are like that. I've never like looked into it, but that is my assumption. Um, but yeah, you don't see that. But so that would still be Macintosh, even mm-hmm. though it's spelled not like that. Um, but he writes down the name Macintosh. He goes, yeah, I don't know who he is. Is that his name? And then he kind of walks away and Bloom's like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> so yeah. in one of the much later episodes, we do see Bloom gets the evening edition of the Freeman's Journal. And guess whose name is in the... Macintosh. Yes. yes. So. Um, all right. So this last little bit here is another interesting bit of symbolism that... You'll find in Robert Adams' essay in the James Joyce Critical Essays, it's also very critical, different use of critical, to the uh, symbolism of the Kino's 11 shilling trousers ad. So um, I find it very interesting. So check out that blog post. Also, this is a great book. You can find it um, on archive.org or you can just read it. Um, K-E-L-L. Do you remember that? What's that an allusion to? Has anybody here seen Kelly? Kelly? <sighs> yes, the yeah. old song. K-E-L-L-Y. Uh, it's an awful brain, brain worm or earworm. has just been in my head for months at yeah. this point. Sorry for my singing. Um, so, you know, that's kind of like, you know, also clearly an earworm for Bloom because it's running mm-hmm. through his head again. But nothing is random in Ulysses. So this is what Robert Adams says is a symbolism of this. So we've got K-E-double-L. K-E together spells key. Which, what did Bloom forget? When he His key, right? That it gives him his power as a householder. Um, he loses, he, he's lost his key. He's keyless. Mm-hmm. He's powerless. Stephen also has surrendered his key to a usurper. He drops it on Mulligan's clothes at the end of Telemachus because he's not going back. Um, so we see the key is in there. And then K-E and then L, Adam says, is also one of the Hebrew names for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, double L. Okay. Uh, double L, though, looks like what number? 11. Yes, which is kind of a special number for Joyce. We talked about that um it's a symbol that pops up a lot towards the end of Lotus Eaters mm-hmm. as they transition into this episode about death. Um, it's often related to resurrection or renewal. Mm-hmm. Uh, also death, you know, you can't resurrect if you haven't already died. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of that hinge between death and resurrection is where 11 lives. Um, now, um, Adam starts talking about Kabbalah, which I don't understand well, so... You know, if I get this wrong, just write me an email. Well, I, I would love to know more. But he says that so um, Hebrew is an interesting language because uh, it's 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 not written with an alphabet as we would know it as English speakers. I believe it's called an abjad, where the um, the way it's written, the um, the vowels are implied, like Arabic. Yeah, Arabic is another really good example of that type of writing system. So if you have K-E-double-L, you can keep the K, and then the E can be suppressed. You can just mark it with a a period or full stop. And then you have 11. You get K-11, which is Kino's 11 shilling trousers. Read the blog post. Um, But 
Adam says that in Kabbalah, K11 is a symbol of resurrection, and that K11, Kino's 11 shilling trousers, gets shortened to K11, and that is a recurring motif throughout Ulysses. Um, and it has several meanings that are all in the blog post. So, and we do discuss this passage again in that blog post. Okay. So, there, when he says K E double L, that there, there's quite a bit in there. Um, if you if you want to start looking at it as symbols and mm-hmm. letters and numbers, so yeah, it's a tree of life. Goes mm-hmm. from Cather to Malkath. I forget the specifics or, or the way. Yeah, it, a lot of understanding the tree of life is n- not necessarily in each of the Sephiroth, but how they're connected. connected. And there's twenty one paths between yeah. each. Yeah, I think like twenty one major arcana cards as well. Yeah, so there's speculation the, yeah. that there might be Kabbalistic influences on the tarot. Oh no, that, I don't think that's even speculation. Yeah, that's, there's Hebrew letters on yeah. some of the, on the Rider Waite back yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. No, there's there. That's that's intentional for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a rabbit hole. That's just so funny. Yeah, to say. so that's uh, Robert Adams sees that uh, symbolism there. Mm-hmm. So it's symbolism of resurrection. It's connected to Macintosh specifically mm-hmm. um, because Bloom says it when he's looking for Macintosh. So does this, um, you know, uh, code for resurrection or renewal, does that fit in with your theory of Macintosh? I don't see why it wouldn't. Like you have this divine component, if it is like the pneuma or, or the, you know mm-hmm. the breath of God acting mm-hmm. in the world, then you know um, it fits in with the whole theological illusions. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't like draw like a causal line or anything. <laughs> no, I don't expect like, you to. I just you know I just thought I'd give you room like, to comment if yeah, you wanted to. There's this like potentially divine being yeah. walking around the funeral. Yeah. Yeah, he's but he's he's something else. I, I don't think he's just a guy there, and I don't mm. think he's just Joyce. Mm. So if you want to know more why I think that, listen, episode one hundred and six, right. and it would be like the Christian God to appear like Columbo, you know, like <laughs> the the son of God's a carpenter for Christ's sake. You know, mm. he walks into Jerusalem or comes into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's he's not he wouldn't be beneath like concealing his identity as mm. a as Columbo as a, as a Columbo as Peter Falk. Yeah. <laughs> a very famous man in the Macintosh, Columbo. All mm. right. We're in the home stretch. We've got one last passage here, and I only have a little bit to say about it. So, A seventh gravedigger came beside Mr. Bloom to take up an idle spade. Oh, excuse me. He stepped aside nimbly. Clay, brown, damp began to be seen in the hole. It rose, nearly over. A mound of damp clods rose more, rose, and the gravediggers rested their spades all uncovered again for a few instants. The boy propped his wreath against the corner, the brother-in-law his on a lump. The gravediggers behind their caps and carried their earthy spades towards the barrow, then knocked the blades lightly on the turf, clean. One bent to pluck from the haft a long tuft of grass. One, leaving his mates, walked slowly on with shouldered weapon, its blade blue glancing. Silently at the gravehead, another called the coffin band, his navel cord. The brother-in-law, turning away, placed something in his free hand. Thanks in silence. Sorry, sir. Trouble. Head shake. I know that. For yourselves, just... Okay. What's going on here? Uh, the gravediggers getting mm-hmm. their do their work right there. Mm-hmm. Um, this feels allegorical to me, but I mm-hmm. couldn't tell you what it's an allegory for. Yeah, it kind of loses me at the end with, the, again, the Ronanska heart to parse. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
let's see where he, he says uh, the something in his free hand. Thanks and silence. Sorry. It's, sorry, sir. Trouble. Is that, is that like the gravedigger saying sorry for your yeah, troubles? Yeah, I think so. It says the brother-in-law turning away placed something in his free hand. And he, so I think the bro- this is Patty Dignam's brother-in-law. He's kind of, I think he's like tipping the Oh, oh, that would be it. Thanks for your trouble. Yeah. Right. For, for yourself. yourself. Just, That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Nice little touch. Yeah. So, you know, again, at the, the beginning, um, you know, we see the, the boy propped. So his little son was holding a wreath and he set it up against the corner of his gravestone. So they've they've covered, you know, they've they've covered him up. Um, I've never been to a, a funeral where you watch the them actually inter the the, the coffin or the casket. Mm-hmm. Um, is that. Something the, that people do in Ireland, the, where the dark go in. Yeah, I, let's see. I remember going down the coffin. We were at a funeral, like when we were back in twenty nineteen, yes. yeah. and I remember the coffin going in. But I think they wait until you're gone before they start like mm-hmm. putting the, the yeah. soil in. So that that's what this just stands out to me, and mm. I feel like there's more to be discussed here, but I'm just not. Mm. I'm just not quite sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, just the way they're described, the the actions of the grave diggers that they're kind of you know, focus on for a bit here. I feel like there must be some allegory in this that I'm just, I'm just not confident to say what it would be. Mm. Um, there's one little bit here where he says silently at the grave had another coiled the coffin band, his navel cord. Uh, does that, does that raise anything? For no, you? like the, well, the, we're getting into like this thing with like umbilicals again, mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. the, yep. uh, I don't know what he's talking about, the, the triggers that the, the cord. The, I guess there's a, a band that's tied around oh, the, coffin. the coffin. You lower it on these mm-hmm. like, ropes. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, of course. And then he says his navel cord, which is an unusual statement. Mm-hmm. So um, there's an idea of Bloom and Steve. Remember we talked about their eventual hypostasis. Do you remember mm-hmm. hypostasis? Yeah, the father and son. It's a union the... of father and son and the Christian Godhead, right? Right. So that Bloom is a symbolic father and Stephen's a symbolic son mm-hmm. and that they will be united in hypostasis in the right. you know, final t- chapters of but the you book. you have to have the Holy Ghost, you see. So. Which is Macintosh, we've, we've suggested. Um, so there's this sort of parallax between them where... In corresponding chapters, time-wise, they are experiencing similar thoughts because their minds are beginning to merge. Mm-hmm. More to, for genetically or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, well, hypostatically. Yeah. Yes. Um, so this is one of those where they're showing they're beginning to overlap because if you look at them time-wise, Hades overlaps to which of Stephen's episodes? Oh. And remember, we see yeah. Stephen as they're riding through Sandy Mount mm. in the funeral carriage. So that would overlap with. Oh no, I have no idea. Um, they see Stephen Bloom remarks that his yeah, shoes they, and they pants are him, dirty, right? And they pass him. Yeah. I so yeah. So I forget what I forget what he was doing after that. He well, so they must be seeing him just after he's left the strand in Proteus. Yeah, because Bloom remarks that he's all yeah. muddy. He's like, why is right. he all dirty? Right. Um. So this is overlapping with Stephen walking on the strand in. Sandy Mount and Proteus. Oh, okay. Roughly, you know, right. roughly. Like, they're not exactly, but time is not linear. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the, Stephen has thoughts that I think you remembered uh, very early on in Proteus of the umbilical phone mm-hmm. that joins all mankind all back the way to back Adam and to... Eve. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. I'd like you to read that. God, this. What has she in the bag? A misbirth with a trailing navel cord, hushed in ruddy wool. 
the cords of all link back, strand and twining cable of all flesh. That's why, mystic monks, will you be as gods? Gaze on your umphalos. Hello, Kinchir, put me on to Edenville. LF, Alpha, not, not one. Mm-hmm. Very elaborate joke, like he's calling yep. a telephone yeah, yeah, line yeah. back to the Garden of yes. Eden. Yes. Umbilicals, so. like taught like a telephone mm-hmm. wire. So Stephen's illusion kind of references the beginning of all things, mm-hmm. of, of birth, right. umbilical cord, blooms is at the end of all things, and death and right. coffin band. So this is happening at the same time as the burial in the graveyard. They're not exactly or, the same time, but they correspond. Right. You have to think of time as nonlinear yeah. to really make it work, which mm-hmm. I think works in Ulysses because... Okay everything gets wobbly as the day goes on but um they're meant they're meant to correspond um parallactically right so it's parallax like they're they're not in exactly alignment you know they're kind of off we can see the distance of them by how far the parallax is and then eventually Mm -hmm. they'll line up but not until much later in the book okay but those are meant are meant to correspond to one another Mm -hmm. yeah okay because it's an odd remark otherwise right like uh, silent at the gravehead, another coil, the coffin band. That okay, that's just an observation. Mm. His navel cord, you know, and it's not remarked on. So, um, there's some kind of echo between Stevens and Bloom's thoughts there. Right. The, the idea being that, and the Joycean godhead, that their father and son, and that they are beginning to move in into alignment. But we'll see like two binary stars orbiting one another. Their paths overlap frequently but they never quite meet mm-hmm. until uh the climax of the novel so okay. or thereabouts not exactly but mm. yeah and in eolus which will be the next ulysses episode that we read they start crossing paths more um this is the kind of the first time they cross but it's distance because bloom's in the in the carriage and steven's on the 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 street but in eolus they kind of go in and out of the freeman's journal office in the same room, mm-hmm. but they don't meet. Okay. Yeah. But they occupy the same space, but not at the same time. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then at the opening of Lestragonians, Bloom thinks about walking down, you know, across Abbey Street, and Stephen would have just gone by Abbey Street with all the journalists for their liquid lunch at Mooney's Pub. Right. Which is still there. You can go to Mooney's Pub today if you want. Okay. So... You have any closing thoughts? Those are my closing thoughts. Is your, is your brain scrambled? Yeah, no, it's all a right. scramble. Once you get into gematria and all that, it's mm-hmm. and the Kabbalah can mm-hmm. wreck your head. Mm-hmm. And there's a thing in Kabbalistic. <laughs> that would you off. There's a thing in Kabbalistic mm-hmm. practice where um, rabbis who got too deeply into it kind of went mad, and mm-hmm. some of them died apparently because they were so focused on the meditation practices that they. And I've heard of people getting into trouble with like extreme meditation where mm-hmm. your heart starts to go too fast because you can, it, you are affecting your mm-hmm. breath and your physical processes. Um, but yeah, there's a name for it in Kabbalah of mm-hmm. like just becoming too close to the Godhead and mm-hmm. your, your body can't handle it. So, All right. Yeah, it's I else. feel like I am not in any danger We're in no getting danger there today. whatsoever. <laughs> no. Go out and pull some brambles out there. there. That's, all, that's what I'm doing. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Check us out on social media or Patreon or at bloomsandbarnacles.com. Sign up for that newsletter and send us an email if you have thoughts about anything we said today. Take care of yourselves. Bye. <laughs>